Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate. Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Today, I have a special returning guest, David Pollard. He is an architect, builder, and the co-founder of Live Companies, a full-service residential design build company in the Chicago suburbs. And I understand they're expanding, too, something I want to touch on uh, as we get into it. Dave started LiveCo in 2012 to provide quality design to suburban homeowners, but with some twists to the traditional architectural services model. Following on the heels of his graduate thesis, stating, quote, to make architecture more accessible, end quote, it's time we stop trying to redesign the building systems and that architects lead the charge in rethinking the design systems. This evolved into a design build model, which allows simplified deliverables and a fully integrated and accountable team to deliver their projects. David, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good to be back. Absolutely. I, I was really looking forward to this uh, interview today and to speak with you again. So the last time I had you on, we talked about being, you were one of seven children and that sort of shaped you into being an entrepreneur. Um, but I feel like there was, a, there's got to be more factors. So what other factors do you think you, that led you to here starting your own company and being an entrepreneur? I've got to imagine there's, you know, there's sort of a sphere of influence that always happens with that. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a really great question. I don't know that there's necessarily a simple answer. Um, I mean, I think I was like a lot of entrepreneurs. I, ever since I was a kid, I, I always kind of had the idea that I was going to have my own business. You know, I was drawing, you know, buildings with a big sign on the top that said Pollard Industries, you know. And maybe it was just because we'd yeah, be watching true. DuckTales or whatever it was, whatever cartoon of Scrooge McDuck and his, yeah. uh, I don't know what it was, or even different strokes. Like I wanted to have a penthouse, you know, and a limo driver. So I don't know what cultural things kind of like pushed me to um, wanting to have my own, my own business. But I don't think, you know, I, I went through the standard track of, you know, full school internships, working for companies. So I think along the way, I was always trying to learn. I didn't necessarily know what my company was going to be. Um, I don't know that I ever thought that I'd just have an architecture firm, you know, to be honest. So um, I, I don't know. And I'd say that you know, the real the real impetus for it, um, which is kind of, you know, lame, I guess, but it's those life changing events that all of a sudden things are going along and then your life completely changes. And then you kind of seize that moment to um, to do something different. And that was when my kids were born. So I, I had twins who are 10 now. So, and my company is 10 years old. That's no, no coincidence. Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, commuting pretty far up to a job. Um, it was a development company, a small development company. And I had a lot of questions for the owner because I had read a lot of books. Like I understand, you know, business and, you know, good to great and all these things. And I saw potential for the company and I kind of talked to the owner about it, you know, kind of what's, what's next. And he honestly really didn't have a plan, you know? And like, well, if I'm, I got these two kids at home, I'm commuting, you know, 45 minutes an hour each way um, with no real kind of growth plan that really didn't speak to me. 
So that's when I, you know, kind of decided to create something because, you know, at least I had my own time. We we're going to have to pay a nanny anyway, so I could work from home and then start to build something. So you start to find those, those little timing things that I think kind of made it click. Um, so that's kind of the pragmatics of how it happened. But yeah, I mean, along the way, I, I, I worked for developers. I worked for a lot of different um, business models within the sphere of architecture. So I learned what I liked about the different ones and what I didn't like about other ones. So that kind of helped me focus and say where I think um, I, I can provide value and like a differentiation in the world of, of architecture. Yeah, I love that. Carving, carving out what you needed to in the world to foster your world, you know, your family and that type of relationship. Uh, very important. I think that's, uh, I, I always like to emphasize that about entrepreneurs is like, that's, you know, there's a freedom. There's a giant freedom that comes. I mean, there's obviously a burden too, but there's a freedom that comes with being an entrepreneur, 100%. Um, so you and I were talking before we kind of hit record here about we're a lot alike uh, business-wise. And uh, one of the things we have in common that I forgot about until I re-listened to our episode is that you have a business partner. And I'm of the opinion that it, it, it I think it gives a big advantage to us over those that don't. Um, I have my own reasons. I would love to hear if you if you think the same or don't. Um, and then how did you find your business partner? What's your relationship like? Um, and then how do you maintain it as a healthy one? Because it is a, such a unique relationship to have in life. I think very, a lot of people don't have it. And I know there are certain things I have to do to keep that maintenance and everybody happy and healthy and, and moving ahead. Yeah, no, I think those are great. Did you want to go first or you want to, want me to sit? <laughs> you I, go first. You're, you're, the, you're the guest, sir. Um, I mean, I don't think I'd have a company today if I didn't have a business partner. Like I remember one, two, three years into this and my, my bro, one of my brothers has a company that he didn't have a partner. And, you know, the first couple of years I called him like, how in the hell would you do this without having someone to kind of support you through the lows? Like you're not in it on your own. Um, now his wife was part of the company. So I think they kind of shared in that, but in some ways that's almost scarier. Um, so, I mean, definitely early in the startup, it was hugely beneficial. Um, Russ's background is in home building and a long career of construction. So, you know, you easily kind of feel, fill that expert piece as opposed to so many architects who say, oh, I'm just going to go build it. You know, they never built anything. Uh, it's pretty hard to start that from scratch. So it was kind of a no brainer if we're going to go into design build to, uh, you know, to have a partner who, who understood the build side and then I understood the design side. And with that comes, um, it comes, there's a slowness to that. So one thing that's a positive and maybe a negative of a business partner is it's kind of like the, the American government, like there's inefficiencies in it because you constantly have to have to sell stuff to each other on what mm -hmm. to do. Um, so, and I get kind of impatient. So that's, you know, that, that's on me. Sometimes I just want to kind of do stuff. Um, and, but it's good to be able to take a breath, you know, step back and talk to him about it and see, you know, if this really makes sense. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's a lot like a marriage in that sense. You know, you can't just necessarily go and do stuff um, without talking it through. Um, and then, I mean, with an architect and a build partner, it's really cool because you have a total left and right brain. Um, so you're kind of covering the gamut of, of, 
of thinking creatively and thinking pragmatically. I'm usually thinking way farther in the future. He's usually thinking more day to day. If I had to always think day to day, I would lose my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, if he didn't have day to day and solving those issues, I think he would feel that something was missing. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's a really invaluable thing, I think, of what we do. Um, how you keep that healthy. I mean, there's definitely times when we just need to sit down and talk through things. Um, we have weekly meetings. Um, Russ is older than I am. His kids are graduated and out of school. My kids are 10 and five. So we're in two completely different life situations, which has an interesting dynamic. Um, but I think first and foremost, what's kind of most important is that we trust each other wholeheartedly and we respect each other. And I think sometimes any arguments or things that get eroded, we just have to point back to that. You know, it's like, you know, we, we try, we're on the same side, we trust each other um, and we're, we're kind of in this together um, is, is how, you know, I think how we, how we try and maintain that the best we can. And then I live in a different state now. So maybe that, maybe that helps ease the relationship. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You guys are not, yeah. Maybe you're not on top, you know, just literally on top of each other. Um, what is uh, how did you guys find each other? And, and then once you found, once you guys found each other, how did you know that it was, this was okay to move forward? I think that's one of the biggest hesitations. Like let's say if, if, if if Alex passed away, I don't know if I could replace, I mean, I obviously couldn't replace Alex for Alex, but I don't even know if I could find anybody else that would be compatible in the way I need them to be and vice versa. Yeah. So, so the first part of your question, how do we find each other? How did you find each other? And then how did you know that it was, you were like, yeah, I can trust this person. This seems like it's going to work. This could be long-term. Okay, I have, I have a couple, a couple kind of answers for that. So um, the developer that I used to work for where I had the long commute before my kids were born, Russ was the director of construction. I was the director of design. Um, he lived 68 miles each way. So he had an even longer commute, but he drove. I lived in the city, so I took the train. Since I was doing the reverse commute, my like train would be at 3.30 p.m. or 7.30 p.m. So often I would take the 7.30 p.m. He had a 68-mile drive home. And if traffic was bad, it would take three hours. So we'd hang out and we were done working. So we'd go, you know, get something to eat, get a beer or something like that. And that's how we got to know each other. Okay. And kind of the, the wall of um, the old school Chicago construction guy, um, challenging the role of the architect value. I think we talked through that a lot, you know, because a lot of, a lot of builders are like architecture are a bunch of idiots. Um, you know, and a lot of architects are like, Oh, builders are the worst. And so I think we were able to kind of work through that with an open mind. And we realized we're both on the same side. We're talking about the same thing. We're talking Mm -hmm. about delivering the project efficiently, economically for the best interests of the, of the um, end user. And we were just thinking about different ways to get there, which were both valuable. So that's how we kind of got to know each other. And then um, I I don't know if we talked about this in the last, on the last episode, but um, what was happening was there were these big institutional companies who were buying up all the foreclosed homes because this was back in 2012 and they were remodeling them to rent them out. So 
we we had a little bit of a line on that and that I knew some people kind of in finance and uh, Russ knew some people in California who were doing the construction of these things. So we had a connection to them. We basically had an instant company. So we had a job. We had our first project before, um, uh, you know, before we even had a company really. So that made it pretty risk-free. Um, you know, I, like I said, I, I just had to make a dollar more than we paid our nanny. Um, and it worked for me. And then, you know, Russ just had to make, you know, a dollar more than what his gas cost to drive 68 miles each way. So we weren't necessarily trying to knock it out of the park. We're just going to try and start something and make hay a little bit. Um, so that's how that, how that shaped up a little bit. Uh, so I think we felt relatively risk-free. Uh, it wasn't a huge capital investment. You know, we didn't have an office. We didn't have, it was, it was a pretty easy decision. Um, knowing that the two of us were the right people, I mean, you'll have to ask him. I have no idea why he partnered with me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm this crazy loopy architect who's kind of like all over the place. You know, I don't have any money. Like I had two newborn children and he's like, uh -huh. yeah, let's do this. Um, but from my perspective, I just thought that he brought a level of experience, um, uh, trust. Uh, I respect the projects that we built with the developer, like every time I walk down that street, I'm like, who built this? How did they figure out how to do this? Um, you know, I, there was a work ethic. There was a, a wanting to do things well that I really appreciated. And then on the cultural side, so Russ, and this is so great, like this whole episode is about Russ, or at least the first half. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, he uh, very, you know, hard-nosed construction world. So that's what he grew up in. And that's how he usually operates in a professional world. Start to have beers with him and realize that he was a sailor. He loved sailing. He lived on a sailboat in San Francisco, you know, for a year and a half or something like that. So I know that there is like something deeper than just this is the construction schedule. This is how we have to do it. Because if you like sailing, it is the least pragmatic or efficient way to ever get from point A to point B. You have to like zigzag, right? So you have to have something, you know, deeper yeah. that you care about other than just, you know, going to work and money. Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah. From A to B. He's not just, he, so clearly there's something that is, allows him to not be just pure A to B. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. He's that like is just a total hippie deep down. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. And you help bring that out. Oh, well, thanks for unpacking that. Um, let's move on from Russ then but I really appreciate all of that. Uh, you guys do a ton of remodels. Um, why and how, and then tell us what your process front to back. I would, I'm also interested in knowing, like, are you guys laser scanning them? That's one thing we've implemented the last two years. Yeah, absolutely. So we just started doing uh, Matterporting this year. Um, we just bought our own equipment. Uh, it's, it's, it's really fun. I think we do it for a couple reasons. Uh, and I know there's a lot of different systems to do it. We just, we chose Matterport because we end up converting it to a Revit model. Mm -hmm. is our existing conditions. So our main points in doing it were to really increase efficiency of field measures and increase accuracy of field measures, uh, number one. And then what's really cool about it too is all the deliverables that you get from it we've used for marketing because it's really cool technology. Um, so yeah, so when someone signs on with us and we do design build remodeling, uh, we have a two-step design process. Our first step is called feasibility design. And that is usually anywhere from 5,500 to 10,500, depending on the scope of work. 
kitchens less and additions more. Um, and then we come out and we field measure with the laser scan, bring it back to the office, come up with design concept A. Clients come in, we walk them through the whole thing uh, on the big screen. And then we also deliver them the anticipated budget. And we break that into about 39 categories. And the intent there is to give them as much information, expert information as we can to help them give us feedback for us to circle back and do it again. Concept B is our final feasibility concept. And our goal there is to figure out what exactly it is that they want to build and generally what their budget is so that we can go to the detailed design or design development phase. That has a separate fee. Um, it's usually about 8% of the budget that comes out of feasibility. And that's when we do uh, a hardcore uh, site visit, uh, estimating, uh, you know, trade walks, all the construction documents, all the details, all the interior design, all the selections and all that stuff. And then at the end of that, we have a price and then our, our team builds it. I love that. Jeez, that sounds like it's really cinched up. You guys don't do, so when folks come to you, it is, is your hard line in the sand? Like we are not going to be your, just your architects. Like this is a whole package. Okay. Yeah. The, the problem is, um, and we've tried it a lot of different ways, similar with building other people's designs. Yeah. Um, we just spend a lot of time building out the right team and the right process to do what we do. And um, we've learned the hard way to really just keep that focused. Uh, because when we've tried breaking it and doing it a different way, it just doesn't. Even when we do new construction and break our process, it's just not as smooth. And people get frustrated, um, not as profitable. It was just more bumps in the road. So I think we could offer just design services, but I'd have to build out kind of a different system to, to do that. And I might need more people to do that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And why it sounds like it's working obviously, because you guys are expanding. Um, so why, why, you know, why break something that's already working so, so well? Uh, so let's talk about that expanding into New York, North Carolina. Tell us about the expansion. Where did that come from? What's the catalyst? How's it going? Um, Man, you're asking some deep questions. <laughs> a, lot, a lot there too. Uh, so this is something that we've been working on for about three years. Um, so it was pre-pandemic. I had kind of a personal plan to get back to the East Coast uh, for my family. My family's in Virginia. My family's all nearby. So my my hope was to be able to uh, to do that before my kids got too old, and because moving with them in high school would be really difficult. So um, over three years, kind of started to plant seeds and think about the opportunity to do it. We learned through the pandemic that I worked remote a lot. My sales calls were all on Zoom. It seemed like there was mechanisms that we thought we were going to have to do previously that after, after the pandemic, um, we were actually able to operate pretty well without me always in the office. So then a lot of timing kind of fell into place and um, we, we got down here, down in outside of Raleigh uh, about six weeks ago, my family and I, I go back to Chicago every couple of weeks for a couple of days just to make sure everything's going smoothly. I just got back on Wednesday night and phase one of the North Carolina expansion is to make sure that Chicago remains successful. Mm. So that is honestly where I am right now. Um, and talking about the business partner aspect of it, it was Ross who really took a lot of weight off my shoulders probably 
six months, a year ago, where he's like, you don't need to worry about what we're going to do down there. Mm. Number one is just, if you're going to go down there make sure that Chicago is, is still working. Right. And so that's been my number one focus as I kind of figure out this area a little bit more. Um, we did buy some land out in Western North Carolina that we're planning to build some spec homes over time. So that's kind of one piece of it. And then I'll probably start towards the end of the summer marketing to your point, design only services. Oh, because we can do that from Chicago. I don't have to build out a whole trade operation here. Um, so, and then we can offer it in the same sequence. We just don't necessarily have the build portion of it. And we could potentially partner with some other builders or something of that nature. So I don't have a full plan laid out for you just yet, which is kind of fun yeah, <laughs> and terrifying. Yeah. So is it just you right now in North Carolina then? Are you going to kind of, okay. And then is the plan to, I mean, well, I know you don't have a plan, but if like, is the general idea, then that would obviously expand in itself. I mean, you're going to hopefully hire somebody and hire more and get to a certain Absolutely. level. Yeah. Yeah. So another piece of that, of that puzzle is, um, so we're, we're about $4 million in Chicago. Our team can't really do much more than that. Um, and we're going to get close to that hump where we start duplicating teams and changing structure if we're really going to grow there. So my, my thinking and kind of talking through with Russ is like, if we really want to double the size of our company, let's do it in a different market. And that allows us to, uh, you know, be, be a little bit more, you know, less market dependent of what's going on just in Chicago, which, you know, is kind of like this. And there's just huge growth down here. Um, there's just, there, it, everything's getting built. There's people moving here constantly from Northeast, from Florida, from California. Um, well, and then people are moving to Florida. It's all like rotating. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it was just, there's a lot of excitement. And as an entre entrepreneurial person, I think, you know, if I, if we, the timing didn't work and we didn't make this happen 10 years, 10 years later, I would be looking back like, man, we, we missed the opportunity to do that. Or, you know, I think I would have regretted not trying a different market. Yeah. It's got to be energizing. I mean, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that you ever got burnt out. I, again, uh, the parallels between our companies. So both about 10 years old, uh, well, a little mm -hmm. more now actually since the last time we spoke, but around that decade mark and all that, uh, you're talking about a plateau. We, we certainly saw a little plateau happen with ourselves. Um, and then we started a satellite office in Denver. Um, but I, you, you do get to a level of where like a comfortability, maybe it's not burnout or anything like that. But after a while, it's like, I've done this. I've, I keep doing the same thing. It's all good. Money's good. Everything's, people are happy, but are you, are you feeling re-energized? Okay. Different kind of energy spearheading this? Oh Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like the world is your oyster type of thing. Yeah. You know, it's like we're, people ask, like, what are you going to be doing down down here? And it's like, it's kind of exciting to be like, I don't know. You know? Yeah. You know, we're yeah. going to be doing some cool stuff. But, you know, a lot of it kind of begins with networking and getting to know the design community, getting to know the needs of, of the area, um, which is kind of fun. And then then we'll start to kind of shape that product. But, yeah, I mean, it, it totally is. And I, I like I like the idea of growth. Um, and to be able to do it somewhere else is, yeah, is energizing and, and exciting. Yeah, it's gotta and, be. And another thing that I've, you know, I, 
I, I like to say is, um, I mean, we, we have a successful remodeling company in Chicago, outside of Chicago, in some of the most complicated homes with the most expensive labor with copper pipes and all electricals and conduit and four feet concrete foundations, different municipalities, permitting, all this stuff. I don't think there was a harder place to do what we did. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting to look at new markets and be like, oh, we can just pull Romex. Oh, we can use PEX. You know, there's different construction systems that simplify and can maybe allow us to test some different things. I worked for a developer who uh, did stuff in Chicago and Arizona. And I always got mad at the Arizona stuff because I felt like they cheated because mm. it doesn't rain. Yeah. So like, and there's no free spa. Like what we have to do in Chicago is so crazy to get these, keep these houses from imploding, you know, in a 140 degree temperature swing. So that's kind of fun too. You know, it's a little bit liberating from that standpoint. I can imagine. Yeah. Um, especially from the bureaucracy side, it sounds like it's probably a little bit better. I mean, Chicago, Chicago. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you, 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 t you touched on marketing and I would, this, I had a different question already teed up, but it sort of ties into it. Last time we spoke, um, some of your creative marketing ideas I thought were fantastic, like the coloring sheets you talked about, paper houses. So now that you're in this other market, do you, do you have any other, uh, where are you looking to do some creative things? You're a super creative guy. I got to imagine you're trying to think outside of the box and add new flavor to that market. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think where we can carve out an immediate niche is in mid-century design. So I think we can offer uh, some really cool visualization opportunities. And so when I talk about the feasibility design where we do the 3D model and we do the walkthrough, every single one of those is converted to a YouTube video. It's uploaded to YouTube. It goes to our website. So anybody can scroll through every feasibility design. It updates automatically when we add it to the playlist and see what we're doing in that first step. And, you know, it costs money, but even if we're not building it, um, it still provides creative value of helping clients imagine something and visualize something that they never would have thought of which have is you had me. people contact you new clients from seeing the playlist uh good question i have we have had leads come in that will say they've seen us on youtube yeah. but i don't know which video that necessarily oh that's fair yeah but it, as long as they did that that's i think that's so valuable my wife started a youtube channel for a real, real estate business uh, last year, uh, probably 18 months ago, and she has never has seen a higher revenue. She's never seen more clients and she's never seen more high quality clients. And we've had a few. So that's why I asked is because like the same thing happens with us with the podcast. We will get maybe two or three a year from just that listen to the show. It's kind of freaky because we talk about clients, not with names, um, but maybe it gives them an extra level of trust. So that is such an interesting yeah. idea that you're doing. I, bravo. I'm going to have to check that uh, channel out and see what you guys are doing there. Thanks for sharing that. Um, tell me about the awards. So I see you, I, we, we follow each other on LinkedIn and I see you on there all the time. Um, I scrolled through your page today and when we spoke the first time too, there was all these awards. How do you win all the awards? And I don't mean, I know you do excellent work, but how do you present it that, ma thinks, that makes it your company a consistent winner? So I, what I find with most awards, at least in the construction industry, now we never win any AIA awards. I don't know what, it, you have to be so, you know, 
I, I just gave up submitting for those things. I don't blame you. But <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little bit crazy. Um, what I've what I think where we really excel um, is it's a very clear pro- problem that we're solving. It's not necessarily cool for the sake of cool. Mm-hmm. It's good design that is solving usually a set of problems. I always like to say, you know, good design solves at least two problems with one solution. So it's pretty easy to write about most of our projects and kind of explaining to how we got there. Um, and I think, and then you see the, you know, the built form of it. And yeah, I mean, I think, I think judges, juries, clients, prospects are usually just intrigued by how, how we solved the issue and came up with a built space. It's pretty inspired. And half the time it's like, if we move a chimney, all of a sudden it opens up a whole new world of what you can do in your house. It's like, well, I didn't even think we could move a chimney. Yeah, we can move a chimney and do anything, right? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I would kind of chalk it up to that. So usually when we submit for them, I mean, there's before photos, there's after photos, and then there's a pretty in-depth narrative, which is telling that story. Yeah. Who, pre- who prepares the package that go in? Is it, do you assign the designer that did it or the lead or anything? So we're all one team. So we don't, we don't pass it on to like one designer doesn't do this. So Sarah, who's our, who's an architect, who's our, our lead designer spearheads that. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Very good. It's a lot of work. Oh yeah. I know. We, we submit for at least uh, we, we, we throw our hat. Um, we throw our projects in, in, in sort of the hat in different areas. Uh, and we usually maybe get one a year, but yeah. And like the hit rate is very, very low. So I'm with you on that one. Um, and the team loves it. Like they go to the award banquets. Like it's really fun. Like uh, it's, it's a, it's an incredible piece of all, our culture now, you know, which I, I always thought it was about me and ego. No, it's about our team, you know, being recognized and they're very proud. Yeah. Which is fun. Yeah. The, the purpose of, I think it would obviously add to the purpose of what they do. I mean, it's just sort of this culmination. It's one thing to get paid and then show your family the work, but another thing for the community to kind of take a look at you and literally give you an award. Um, So the last time we spoke also, I stole one of your ideas. Uh, It was such a good idea. I was like, I'm doing that. Uh, Alex hated it, which was take everybody gets their birthday off. Um, At first he hated it. Then he got his birthday off and then he lost it. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, matter of fact, one of our employees, one of my, uh, longest running employees at this moment cross heck he's out on his birthday right now went to a motley crew concert last night so i'm sure he's having a, he's you know he's recovering today maybe um but it has been it has been really good for people uh so what other i would love do you have another idea that i could steal that alex would hate oh geez um <laughs> I'm sure lots of ideas that and alex if you would. don't that's cool i just thought i would uh <laughs> well you know out. As a as a business owner, when it was like four of us, I was always doing the fun things. Like giving, sending like our employees got like engaged or something. So we bought them dinner, you know, sent them out to dinner, like called ahead and, you know, told the restaurant to, you know, send the check to us. Um, we used to do, you know, a lot of like fun, I think, personal things like that. That is something that since we've grown to 12 people, we've totally lost. And I don't know how to kind of get some of those things back. You know, because it's hard to just all of a sudden someone does something great and you do that, but then you forget about it the next time they do something great or you don't give somebody else something great. So I don't know. I'm all ears on that. If we could find like a cool way to let people know that, you know, we appreciate them. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know what I try to do is I try to look for um, the little things. So, so I think that's the way to do it is you're just looking, but, but it's, it's what you are describing already because you, and not, it's not little that somebody gets engaged, but I mean, just those special things. How about that? Uh, I don't think you'll listen to this episode. So I'll say it is that we have another employee. His name is Tyler and he has, a, he had a mug on his, his desk and it said uh, something about like, he's not an architect yet. And he has to check these boxes or something like that. So we already have it planned for when he gets his license. We're going to be a mug. It's going to be black with white lettering. It's going to say architect. Like that co- covering bases like that, I think is huge. Just looking for those little things that make just the, the things that could make people r- remind them that like you are a special human being because you are 100% unique. And, the, and we appreciate those things about you is what I would say. Um, so a couple, we're running up on the half hour, a little bit past it. Uh, I have to ask everybody this because you can't get away from it. And it's the economy and uh, where you think it's headed. You're starting a new business in a new area. Um, how are you preparing for it? Where do you think it's going? I know you're not an Oracle. This is not a financial podcast, but you're a business owner. And if you can't give an opinion, I question it, whether you should be a business owner, not you, but everybody. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's, it's on everybody's mind. Right. Um, I mean, what another thing the pandemic's kind of taught us is like, don't freak out, (laughs) you know? um, So I think the way that we're preparing for, you know, recession and interest rates and all this stuff that's going on is we've spent the last couple of years just really focusing our target market and finding out the projects that work best for us. Uh, And I'd say two, three years ago, we were casting a pretty wide marketing net. And now we're really trying to focus that. So from a marketing standpoint, we're, we're, we're doing AdWords, some PPC stuff. It's really targeting an area that isn't going to be dependent on a bank loan. You know, um, mm. Craig Webb just wrote something I just saw yesterday um, to remodel his advantage. And he was talking about just this. And, and his, his kind of answer was the DIYer market is definitely going to take a hit. But the, um, you know, the non-DIY, the I want what I want, mm-hmm. you know, I want to pay to have this done right professional market may see a drop, but it's been booming so much. It'd still be better than 2019 was kind of his perspective on it. So, you know, we're not planning any giant growth. Um, we're just trying to get better and, you know, do the same amount of work, but be more efficient and be more profitable. Um and really focus that market that isn't dependent on a lot of those forces that are really in in flux. We've historically had a lot of clients who do bank loans and we'll still do it, but I'm not going to check that box until that loan closes. You know, I'm going to say that's a 50% probability while when rates are low, you know, it's 99%. Yeah. I think that's smart, especially the way if you're going to, if you can, if you can succinctly target those folks, you know, the, the, the one, there's a chart that I like to refer to that's, uh, it shows that like the 1% in America, which is if you're a combined company, if you're a combined family, you may make 400K a year, you're actually in the 1% technically. Um, but, but then the upper middle class, if you're making over 200 combined a year to the 400, those two categories expanded. Um, they just, they actually got bigger. So I, if you're targeting those folks, there are, there's a great possibility, especially if you're doing a remodel, I'm sure you've seen this where people yeah. are doing uh, cash outs and then just paying for the thing with the cash out. And it just makes sense for them because they're, it's a long-term hold. They're like, whatever, I'm going to be here for the next 20 years. Um, those are our best clients. 
Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I think, in my opinion, I think housing has more value to people and financially than it has in a really long time. And hopefully that doesn't totally implode. We should see it level out a little bit. But, you know, as long as the house itself continues to be uh, an element of financial and life happiness, I think we can continue to, to be strong and position ourselves. And we only need $4 million, not like a trillion. You know, <laughs> it's not a whole lot that we really need. So, um, yeah, we're, 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 we're not in freak out mode. We're also kind of hopeful that things will even out a little bit. Cause as I'm sure you're seeing, like, we don't have a whole lot of leverage over vendors and, and labor these days. We're, we're kind of the tails kind of wagging the dog these days. So 100%. if people could slow down a little bit, it could, it could help us just kind of steady things a hundred percent and the media just will not allow which is, i hope this is the media you know this podcast right now is like are you hearing us people out there that's right you're hearing two design build professionals saying it would be okay if it slowed down a little because we, the leverage is very difficult i mean getting a plumber oh. i, I love <laughs> a plumber alone i just had i just had, we have a couple of them and one of them I had been asking for this one sink to be installed downstairs in a basement, little bar, little thing we kind of did for a friend. It was filler work for our carpentry crew. And this was six months ago that I asked to get it done, followed up a couple of times, nothing happened. It was like, I don't know. Finally, they finally today they're, they're, they're doing it. So. Yeah. Your clients are angry at you and you're like, I, I, I'm trying, you know, I'm doing the best I can. I can't pick these people up and take them physically to your house. They are, free people. <laughs> uh, well, David, this has been fantastic. Uh, one last question I'd like to ask everybody um, on the show and uh, knowing what you know now, if you go back in time, what is one piece of advice you'd give yourself maybe when you first, when you guys first started the company? Oh man. Yeah. I forgot you asked that last time I said, spend more in marketing, right? Yep. Which oh. I thought was brilliant. And it made me think like, it may reinforce for me when I listened to that today, I was like, Oh, I should, I'm going to just stick with the budget we have. It's good. Actually, we're throwing a little bit more money at it this month. So, Yeah, no, it's, a, it's, it's always a good time to spend money on marketing right now, for sure. Um, I, you know, I think it comes down to figuring out what you really love doing. Um, and I know that sounds, you know, kind of cliche, but uh, I think that's a really important part. And it doesn't mean you have to do that on day one. And we didn't. We did foreclosure rehab work. But then we've started, I'm always thinking about what I really enjoyed about certain aspects of it. And then we slowly shaped it into to what we're doing today. Um, and the other thing about when you do that is I knew what I loved doing and I thought I was okay at it, but I didn't know if people wanted to pay for it. So, mm. you know, it took years to kind of figure that out. Um, so, but yeah, I probably would have tried to leverage that earlier knowing what I know now that people do want to pay for good design turns out. Yeah. It is valuable. hundred percent valuable. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, I think both of us probably have forgiven ourselves of like coming to that realization. I mean, it's like you said, at first you're like, well, I got to feed literally your kids. So you have to, we have to take what we can get, but you evolve as a, as a professional. And I, I think people that are listening to this who maybe starting out where you and I started out, you know, over a decade ago, and they're just getting into it, just, I hope they hear that. And they know it's an evolution. It's an evolution like process, I think. Um, 
So again, thanks, David, for your time today. Where can, considering that you're starting this new branch in, in North Carolina, I wish you the most success um, possible. Where can people find and follow your work if they want to learn more specifically about that place? Uh, yeah, so livecompanies.com, L-I-V-C-O-M-P-A-N-I-E-S.com is kind of the, the center of the, of the universe. universe. That's our portfolio and everything that we do and our people. Um, and then, yeah, as you've seen, we do a lot on LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, and Instagram. And yeah, you can find us on YouTube too. Yeah, the YouTube. So what would they search for YouTube? That's the one thing I want to make sure. I think it's I think it's just Livco. L I V C O is our but there's like a pharmaceutical company called Livco. So that gets a little and now there's the Live Golf Tournament. Oh no. It's like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, probably Livco or Live Companies, and you can probably find us through that. Or you can get to it through our website. Beautiful. Awesome. Okay. David, thanks so much for your time today. And uh, we'll, again, we'll have to have you back on. Maybe we'll touch base in a year and see where, see where everything's going in North Carolina. I know, or I'm going to have to come out to Colorado. We got to hang out sometime. Absolutely. See what you guys are working on. Absolutely. Okay. Take care, buddy. We'll see you later. Thanks, Lance.